no matter where you were in the city of Corinth, you'd look up and you'd see what's called the Acro-Corinth. <clears throat> That's this little outcropping of rock here. This is the ruins of Apollo's temple. But here's this outcropping of rock, and you can imagine. Here's Corinth down here, the, the main city. And everywhere you went there, you'd see this mountain or this hill, whatever you want to call it. What's really pretty amazing about that is that back when the New Testament was written, when 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or chapter 6, verses 12 through 20 were written, at the top of this hill was the temple to Artemis, goddess of love and beauty and fertility. The thousand priestesses that served in that temple were basically glorified prostitutes who honored sexual, sexual immorality as worship. And so you can imagine, as these Corinthians, they're, they're growing up and they're living in the shadow of this immorality. Everywhere they go, that's what they see and that's what they're reminded of. Every day of their lives, that's what they've seen and that's what they've been reminded of. And so we're not surprised then that when Corinthians became Christians, that they were going to struggle with sexual immorality and they were going to struggle with even trying to make that part of their service to God because that's, that's really what they've been taught their entire lives. And so Paul deals with that there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. He has to address this idea. And what it seems is happening here is that some folks are making an argument. They, they'll say something like, well, the food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. And in the same way, the body is for sex and sex is for the body. And Paul has to point out that's just not true. Certainly God has made us sexual creatures, but He has not made our bodies such that they need sex the same way that we need food. In fact, what he points out is that's not what our body is for at all. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 13 says, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. In fact, his conclusion as he looks at all of this in verse 20 is, glorify God in your body. Our bodies are not about pursuing sexuality. Our bodies are about serving God. Well, in many ways, we're a lot like the Corinthians. No, we can't look out our window and see a hill that has a temple to enshrine sexuality. But, but let's face it, in our society, we might as well have that. We live in the shadow and are brought up in the shadow of sexual immorality. It's in our television shows. It's glorified in songs. It's in movies. We read about it in books. There are magazines about it. We see it displayed on billboards. Commercials use it to sell. It's just everywhere we go. These messages are bombarded on us from the time that we're in our, our childhood. In fact, we often try to hide it from our kids, but there's no hiding it. It's everywhere. It's in the grocery store. It's on the roadway. It's, it's everywhere. And so it's no surprise then that when modern folks become Christians, that we also have struggles with issues of sexual immorality. One of the big problems that we have today is not being able to see the spectrum of sexual sin that the New Testament talks about. We hear about sexual immorality and say, as long as we haven't gone all the way, we're doing okay. But the Scripture actually demonstrates a spectrum of sexual sin that we need to keep in mind. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 talks about the works of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, 
Here the Scripture says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. All three of these first works of the flesh here all deal with sexual sin. From the beginning of where it's just something that's in the mind, all the way until it's actually having intercourse with someone in sexual immorality. We also find this very same triumvirate in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 21. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 21, Paul wrote there, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Here we find it again, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. What I want us to recognize today is this spectrum. That it's not just an issue of staying away from the extreme sexual activities that we could talk about, but even from the very beginning, the issue of sensuality, of modesty, of the way we present ourselves, and the things that we think about, and the things that we view and watch. Paul says that all of these things are works of the flesh. It's not just we can, we can walk the road a little ways as long as we don't go all the way. He talks about this entire spectrum. And I'd like for us to take a look at that. And I'd like to take a look at our society and, and where we are within our society and how we live and are we different from what our society presents in the issues of sensuality. Now, I, I do want to make this caveat, and that is, is that I understand that the Scripture never provides us with specific lines. I can't tell you. I wish I could. There's a part of me that wants to say, you know, here's how long the dress has to be. Here's exactly what can be in a movie that you can watch. I wish I could do all that. I can't. The Scripture doesn't do that for us. Rather, God left that up to our judgment for us to look at our, our motivation and our attitude and our desire to serve Him. I know that He's done that. I certainly think that I, and I'm sure that I'll mention things that I believe certainly cross the line. But all I want us to do today is give some thought. Because Paul said the body is for the Lord. That's what Paul said. And we need to take a look at ourselves and the way we're presenting our bodies. And just ask ourselves, am I presenting my body as for the Lord? Or am I presenting it for something else? That's the thing that we need to be thinking about today. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God in heaven, we honor and glorify you. And we're so thankful that you've given us time today to study your word. We're thankful that you've allowed us to come together here so that we can worship you, so that we can edify one another. We're so thankful that we've been able to sing songs and praise to you and to lift one another up by those songs, to remember your son in those songs. We're thankful that we've been able to remember once again the death that your son died for us. And Father, we pray that you be with us as we go throughout this lesson, that we realize that that death means something for our lives. That that death doesn't mean that we just get to go do what we want, that the grace and love and mercy of that death doesn't mean that we get to present our bodies however we want, that we're set free to sin or or to pursue sensuality, but rather that that death and your grace has set us apart for holiness. And that in our bodies and in our minds, we need to glorify you. Help us to make that our goal. Help us to stand out from the world. Help us to be seen as different. That folks, when they look at us and the way we present ourselves, that we'll, they'll know we're for the Lord. Father, if they persecute us for that, please help us to maintain our strength. That we can have patience and endurance. That we might serve and honor and glorify you. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for loving us. Through your Son's name we pray. Amen. The first thing that I want us to recognize, there really is the spectrum of sexual sin. Here in these two passages, these three terms, we recognize from beginning to culmination. 
we often think about sexual immorality. The sexual immorality is that idea of any type of unlawful intercourse between people. So sexual intercourse is for husbands and wives, and that's it. Outside of the marriage bed, it's unlawful. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says that marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled, but anything else is unlawful and it is sexual immorality. And that would include fornication, that would include adultery, that would include homosexuality, that would include incest, that would include all manner of sexual activity outside of marriage. It's just unlawful. If you're not, I don't care if you're going to be married next week. If you're not married, it's immorality. And we need to avoid it. But he doesn't just say sexual immorality. He also talks about impurity. Uh, your translation may say uncleanness. And I understand that this word is used in various places throughout the Old and New Testament to refer to anything that might defile us. And so sometimes it's a very general term. But there's no doubt in these contexts that it's dealing not just with general defilement, but dealing with a sexual activity that is defiling and making us unclean. In fact, look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 24. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 24, Paul said to us, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. There's no doubt this also... Impurity is specifically talking about a sexual impurity. What I know within these contexts, and, and these words are not just completely distinct, they certainly overlap and they could be used interchangeably sometimes even. But the idea of this particular impurity is, is something between the lust of the heart, where we have what's going on in the mind and the thoughts and the fantasies and what's going on in our head and in our heart, and the acting out of that up to the idea of the intercourse that is sexual immorality. And so this is going to include things like pornography. This is going to include things like heavy making out or petting. This is going to include things like voyeurism and exhibitionism. All of these things that are the acting out of the thoughts that go on in the mind and the lusts. This is impurity. And we can't say, oh, but I didn't go all the way. God says not only is sexual immorality being avoided, but so is impurity. But He didn't stop there. He also talked about sensuality. And this gets us back into the mind, into the attitude, into a way of life. Sensuality, the word itself, is the idea of, of what is predicated on the senses, specifically the senses of the flesh. So we've got feeling, touching, but especially seeing. When we're pursuing those things and how they feel and how we sense them with the flesh, that is sensuality. Your translation may say lasciviousness or licentiousness. Those words point out that what this term deals with is that which arouses or expresses sexual arousal. This is going to deal with the way we walk, the way we talk. This is going to deal with the way we dress. The idea of sensuality and lasciviousness and licentiousness and wantonness and lewdness and all these words that, that, are translate, that translate this particular word. This whole idea is, is one that has little to no shame about the concept of sexual things outside of marriage. When they think about those things, their hearts are not pricked and convicted. Rather, their hearts are piqued. And they enjoy it. And they want to think about it. And they want to look to it. And they think, that, well, I can go just this far. I can control and enjoy it. I, I can go this far and it's okay because I didn't go all the way. But they have no shame about those things. And so will include the idea of what we talk about, our conversations, dallying the sexual. It talks about the way we dress. 
if we're trying to arouse others with the way we dress or attract others to ourselves in a sexual manner with the way we dress. talks about the way we walk, the way we stand, all kinds of things are found here in this concept of sensuality. What we need to realize is that God said that the work of the flesh is not just when we've finally gone all the way, but He says the work of the flesh is sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. We need to avoid sensuality. In fact, what we find is we need to flee sensuality and not be callous to it. If you look in 1 Peter, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, in 1 Peter, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Peter wrote, 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time is past, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What this points out to us is the Gentiles, and in this context, he's talking about those who are of the world who aren't Christians. He said the Gentiles, well, they've lived in this stuff. This is where they live. And they'll be surprised that we don't want to go as far as they go. And they'll mock us and they'll malign us. Oh, you guys are so extreme. I can't believe, oh, this is just natural. This is just what the body is meant for. Hmm, that kind of sounds like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, doesn't it? Oh, I can't believe that you would try to draw those lines back that far. And for decades we've been hearing about free love and, and, and how, oh, this is just the way it should be and we should just all be expressing this all the time. And what Peter says is folks will mock us and malign us because we don't go along with that. But notice what he says. He says the fact is we've already spent enough time doing these kinds of things. Back when we were among the Gentiles, when we weren't Christians, we spent enough time doing these things. Some of us might say, oh, but I didn't do very many of those things. Good for you, but you did enough. And Peter says you've done enough. He says, now you're a Christian. You've done that enough. You've gone as far as you need to go. You don't need to go any farther. You've dallied in that enough. You don't need to do any more. The time has passed for that. But did you notice what topped the list? Sensuality. I top the list. He says, you've had enough time pursuing sensuality. You're Christians now. It's time to flee that. But the sad thing is, so few actually are fleeing sensuality, they're becoming callous to it instead. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17, Paul wrote, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. There's those Gentiles again, and we're not supposed to be walking like them. Why? Because in their ignorance, with their hard hearts, they are alienated from God, and they have become callous to sensuality. They've become hardened to it. It doesn't phase them. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't impact them. It doesn't affect them. Or at least they think it doesn't. 
They actually don't realize how much it's impacting and affecting them. They don't realize that sensuality is what lays the foundation that leads to the impurity and the sexual immorality. And this is the problem among many Christians. There are a lot of Christians who have committed over and over again to avoid acts of impurity and sexual immorality, and they say to themselves over and over again, I'm never doing that again. I'm never doing that again. But they continue in the things of sensuality, and they don't understand how it's impacting them. They just don't see it. But if our minds are filled with the idea of the sensual, and if we're expressing the sensual, then don't be surprised when we keep falling off that cliff into impurity and sexual immorality. That's just what's going to happen. That's where it leads. What bothers me, though, today is the number of Christians who I've heard respond to lessons that they've heard about Christians who are swimming together in their skimpy clothing or Christians who are dancing, to, you know, dancing like goes on in school dances and at the clubs and, and hearing sermons about what we watch on TV and movies and, and hearing sermons about modest dress. And they go out and they respond, you know what, that just doesn't affect me. That just doesn't affect me. Now, I understand that we're all different, and I understand that what arouses me may, may not arouse you, and so the list of things that I have to avoid may not necessarily be the list of things you have to avoid. I understand all that. But what this text points out to us is that being able to walk out the door and say, oh, that stuff doesn't impact me, may not be a good thing. That stuff may not impact us because we've gotten so involved in things that are so much worse that, that the sensuality, we, we don't see how it's impacting us. We've seen so much and we've heard so much and we've experienced so much that we've become callous to the sensuality. Also, that's what the Gentiles do. And when they've done that, they're alienated from God and they've got hard hearts. tell you, sensuality is a lot like drinking intoxicants and alcohol. I've heard people say, oh, you know, one or two drinks doesn't impact me. Well, how do you know? Oh, because I've drunk so much that doesn't bother me anymore. Brothers and sisters, that's not a good thing. And it's not a good thing that we have been so involved in sensuality and impurity that the beginnings of it don't impact us anymore. Paul says, be careful, flee from it. Don't be callous to it. Well, now I'm about to get into the scary part of this lesson. Marita's afraid for me to preach this part to you. So when you're done, please, as you leave, let her know that you still like her, even if you're upset at me. Because I want to talk to you a little bit about the means and methods of sensuality. There's a part of me that would like to just be able to say, flee sensuality, we all know what it is, and we all go away saying, oh, okay, yeah, we know what to do, we know what to take care of, we know where to be careful. But sadly, I, I've been living in this world now too long, and among brethren too long, and especially with young people, and, and, you know, sadly, we just don't get it. Because for too long, we've just said flee sensuality and left it like that. And everybody knows the Bible class answer. If I were to ask you in Bible class, are you supposed to flee sensuality? Everybody say, yes, we're supposed to flee sensuality. And then they go off pursuing sensuality because they don't know what it is. What I want to share with you here are not things that, that I've come up with. I want to share with you things that the Bible demonstrates are sensual. The Bible actually gets very specific about some things. And I want to share these things with you. This, everything I'm going to share with you right now is about to come from verses in the Bible. It's not going to come from me saying, oh, I think this is sensual or not. It's going to come from the Bible. I want you to understand that. But before we do that, 
I've got four caveats I've got to share with you. First of all, it's not a sin to be beautiful. It's not a sin to be handsome. It's not a sin to be pretty. It's not a sin to be attractive. I'm not saying that. Second of all, I'm not saying that to be right with God, you've got to try to make yourself look as ugly as possible. I'm not saying that. Okay, I'm not saying that at all. The third thing, the passage that we're going to look about, actually glorifies the things I'm going to share with you. Okay? Because where I'm sharing it with you is a passage that talks about marriage and sensuality within marriage, which is where it's allowed. What I want you to understand is that these passages demonstrate to us that we need to recognize the potential for sensuality in all of these things that I'm about to share with you. And therefore, as children of God who are fleeing the works of flesh, who are fleeing sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality, we need to be very careful about how we present ourselves and our bodies as these passages are going to show us. And we're going to take a look at the book of Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon glorifies passion and sexuality within marriage. And within that, it talks to us about the things that the husband and the wife found attractive and sensual about each other. And within marriage, that's awesome. It's to be glorified, to be celebrated, and to be pursued. But outside of marriage, it's to be avoided. And we need to be very careful. Interestingly, in the Song of Solomon, we've got a list for the men and a list for the women. You will not be surprised to know that the list for the women is much longer than the list for the men, simply because men have a much harder time looking at women and not seeing an object of sensuality, and there's just so much more there. And women don't look at men in that same way. But there is still some of that about the men. And so we're going to start with the men. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, beginning at verse 10. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, beginning at verse 10. Verse 10, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. Now, men, how many of you would like your wives to say that about you? Oh, he's radiant and ruddy. That sounds terrible to me, but actually that's the idea of, of tanned. The, the, uh, the ruddy is that idea of red-skinned and tanned. And, and so here's this idea of this radiant, glowing skin and this, this tanned skin. We need to be careful. I'm not saying it's wrong to get a tan. Not saying that's wrong, but we do need to think about our attitude. What's going on with those hours that we lay out in the sun? Why? I mean, why? And and why would anybody end? Well, I got to be very careful. Why is it that we want to do that? Just lay out in the sun and get skin cancer? What are we hoping to do? I think we need to be very careful here. It's not wrong. Hey, and you know, in marriage, it's it's a great thing. Then it says, his head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His hair can be sensual. Now, I know this may sound shocking to you, but just this week I was watching a television show online, and the commercial that came up was for a shampoo, and the tagline is, get girl-approved hair. Guys, use the shampoo because then the girls will be attracted to you. And, of course, all those women were very sensual. One of the lines in one of the commercials, I had to walk away from the computer when this commercial came on because it was so bad, but I could still hear it as I walked into the other room. And one of the statements was, was a girl talking to the guy. I said, guys, if you want to hook up, you've got to fix your hair. Now, for those of you who are in my generation and older, hook up doesn't just mean if you want to find a friend. For, for folks that, that are in the generations growing up now, hook up means if you want to have sex with someone. That's what hooking up means. 
So if you hear people talk about hooking up, you may want to talk to them about that. But the commercial there says, hey, hey you want to hook up? Got to fix your hair. See, the fact is, you really want to know about sensuality, watch commercials. Because commercials bank on sensuality. Because they want to sell their products, and what they want to do is tell you, if you buy our product, you'll get to be involved with all these people. That's what they're selling. It goes on, though. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. Eyes. Oh, we just love those deep eyes. Those, those eyes that search our souls. But the other thing that I want you, to point, want you to note here is that sometimes we give messages with our eyes. We give that look, that glance at just the right moment, when just the right comment is made that expresses more than just, hey, I see you. We need to be careful with that. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. Oh, we love those guys with chiseled features. His lips are like lilies dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. Arms, legs, body. You know, there's, there's the guys that spend hours and hours in the gym working out to get that amazing physique. Now, it's not wrong to work out. But what's the goal there? Is the goal to be healthy or is the goal to say, hey, look at me, I'm sexy? What's the goal? All of these things, again, I'll repeat this a couple times. I'm not saying you've got to look ugly. I'm not saying that it's wrong to take care of your hair. I'm just saying that we need to be careful what's our goal, what's our motivation, what's our attitude. These things that we do to present our bodies, what message are we really trying to give? Are we trying to give that our body is for the Lord? Or men, are we trying to say that our body's for women? But it's not just the men. There's also a list for the women. And I'm going to get the most difficult one to talk about out of the way. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 4 and verse 5 says, Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Now, usually when we talk about sensuality, this is where we stop. But we understand that that's sensual. And, and sisters, we need to think. If you're wearing those shirts that you're constantly having to do this with, you need to think about that. That's sensual. If you're wearing those shirts that are form-fitting, you need to think about that. That's, that's sensual. In marriage, that's wonderful. But for everybody else in the world, you're not supposed to expose that. But we'll back up to beginning of verse 1, Son of Solomon, chapter 4. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Once again, the eyes. I've got some other passages also in Song of Solomon. You can get the notes and look up these. We're just going to go through the various ones here. Your eyes are doves behind the, behind the veil. You know, interestingly, can, can we turn over to Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 25? I'll just read this to you. This is about the woman who's trying to get the guy to commit adultery. It says, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Just watch a mascara commercial sometime and tell me what that's all about. And I'm not saying it's wrong to wear mascara. But you watch those commercials and see what they're selling. They're not just selling mascara, most of them. Be careful how we're presenting ourselves. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Now, Sisters, I don't know. This demonstrates the difference in culture. Would any of you be excited if your husband said to you, oh, your hair is like a flock of goats? 
I don't know, for some reason back here that meant something great. Um, you know, that's just a different culture. But again, what it points out to us is that the hair, you remember when Peter talked about modesty in 1 Peter chapter 3, he said, let not your adornment be outward, the braiding of hair, the wearing of fine jewelry, costly adornment, you remember that? But rather let it be the inner person in the heart. One of the things, what we do with our hair. Now, again, I'm not saying, you know, just get up and don't do anything with your hair, but I'm just saying, what's our motivation? What are we trying to do? I love this one, verse 2. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. I told Marita that I think the idea there is not one among them has lost its young, is that this, is, this woman has all her teeth. And he found that pretty impressive. But but the issue being, of course, and you know, we do a lot of dental work today. Nothing wrong with that. But what's our motivation? What what are we trying to present? I, that one's a shocking one to me, and it's probably shocking to you. I'm not saying you have to keep your mouth closed all the time. I'm just saying, let's look at this. These are things that promote this kind of mindset. We have to be careful. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. What is it that everybody remembers about Angelina Jolie? It's her mouth. Why is it that so many women want the, the puffy, pouty, Botox-smooth lips? Because it's sensual. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, and all of them shields of warriors. How sensual the, the neck can be, he's pointing out. Verse 9, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. There's those eyes again. With one jewel of your necklace. Jewelry. I'm not saying all jewelry's wrong. You're saying, what are you trying to accentuate with the jewelry that you're wearing? Make sure that your motivation is proper. In verse 11, your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Perfume. Once again, I just encourage you, watch the commercials for these perfumes and colognes, and you tell me what they're trying to sell. I'm not saying it's wrong to wear it. I'm just saying we need to be thinking about what, what we're doing here. Chapter 7 and verse 1. Chapter 7 and verse 1. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to wear sandals. But I just want us to note, how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Now, here's something that we need to be careful about, all these wonderful pedicures and getting everything all decked up and dolled up. And what's our goal? What's our motivation? Then the end of verse 1 there in chapter 7, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. What about those skirts and those shorts that when we sit down, you have to constantly push down? I'm going to tell you, that's, that's, what, that's what a guy sees. Your thighs can be sensual. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. What is up with these midriff-bearing shirts and these hip-hugger pants that show uh, the flesh there? Uh, you know, listen, he said that's a sensual thing. We need to be careful. Verse 7. Your stature is like a palm tree. Now, stature, of course, just means, it really just refers to height, but but what I get from this picture is this is the idea of, of carriage and, and the way that she presents herself, the way she walks, the way she stands. 
sisters, not brothers. Brothers, I'm not encouraging you to do this, but sisters, I encourage you sometimes. Why don't you find uh, a video of women who are walking, models, fashion models who are walking on the runway, and look at the way they walk and the way they stand. That's all about sexuality. Are we mimicking that in our carriage and in our stature? And finally, and I do have to go outside of Song of Solomon for this one, but I, I just had to point this out, because sometimes we can be dressed well, and we can look modest and pure, and yet our speech can be immodest and sensual. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. And then in chapter 6 and verse 24, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Sometimes we allow our speech to dally in the sexual, to just kind of, kind of push the envelope and see how far we can go with somebody and see how they'll respond. I remember I was in a marital counseling situation with a, a couple one time and the wife had committed adultery. And I remember her telling me, she said, you know, I can tell who I have a shot with by what I say to them and how they respond. Our words can take us into the sensual. Now I want to remind you, and I, and I hope that I can get this across, I'm not saying that you have to wear a shawl from head to toe, men and women, in order to be right with God. I'm not saying that, that it's wrong for men to work out or it's wrong to get a tan. I'm not saying any of those things. What I want us to see is that these parts of our body can be presented as sensual. And I'm wanting to see that we as Christians, if we're going to say that our body is for the Lord, we have to be careful with the way we present our bodies to the world. Because just like all these things can be central in marriage and should be in marriage, they should not be out of marriage. And we need to take care. We need to be careful. Because sadly, there are some who will pervert God's grace into sensuality. Jude and verse 4 points this out to us. In Jude and verse 4, it says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sensuality here is used in the broader sense, but it includes what we talked about. Pervert the grace of God. I don't know how many I've heard talk about why it's okay for them to go wear their bikinis at the water parks around all these other people. And why? Because I can't find one place in the New Testament where it says, Thou shalt not do it. We're under a system of grace, not under law, and so it's okay. What has just happened there? We have perverted God's grace into sensuality. We have said that sensuality is okay because, well, God's just going to wipe it away anyway. The 1 Corinthians 6.13 says that our body is for the Lord. And verse 20 says, Therefore glorify God in your body. What are you glorifying? with your body. You want to overcome sensuality. The key is not about the outside. You know, I know some would like to set up a dress code. Or if we could just say, here's the dress code, and everybody follow that dress code, then sensuality would be taken away. That's not true, because sensuality is actually an issue of the mind. And if we said, here's the line, then we just create a generation of people who are trying to get as close to the line as possible, instead of trying to give their bodies to the Lord. If you want to overcome sensuality, it starts with the heart. And we're about out of time, so I'm just going to be very quick here. Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23 says, For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts. Sensuality is on that list. If we want to overcome sensuality, we've got to fix the heart. 
It's not surprising that 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, when it talks to the sisters who are married, it points out that don't let your adornment be external, the braiding of the hair, the wearing of jewelry and costly garments. But let it be the inner person, the gentle and quiet spirit. This is pleasing to the Lord. We can get that, and this men and women alike, if we can get this right, if we can get that gentle, submissive heart in line, then what happens on the outside will be taken care of. I remember we started this off by looking at Galatians 5.19, and it points out that the works of the flesh are sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality. But a few verses later, it gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And what does it say? Through the Spirit is love. You see, sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality is all about taking from others. It's all about pulling to myself. Love is all about giving. Love is all about giving. And if we can bring love into our hearts and pursue love as God deals with it, then sensuality won't be a problem. Because if you love someone, you won't be trying to make them lust after you. You won't be lusting after them. When you can pursue love with them, you'll overcome that. I heard one person say that lust kills love. And the opposite is true. Love kills lust. We can pursue love. If we can get the heart right with God, loving God and loving others, then the sensuality will be taken care of. Brothers and sisters, we live in the shadow of immorality, and it's so easy for us to become callous to it. It's so easy for us to not even recognize it and not even recognize it in our own lives. We need to be careful. We need to be a people that are fleeing immorality, impurity, and sensuality. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 12 and 13, our body is for the Lord. Have you been presenting your body as for the Lord? Or for something else? 